Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Stefan Dickers, Special Collections and Archives Manager at the Bishopsgate Institute here in London, about fetish history and fetish pride. As we are in the midst of Pride season and celebrating 50 years of the Pride in London walk, it's important to acknowledge our fetish roots, the importance of preserving it, making it accessible to up-and-coming kingsters, and also reminding ourselves just why it's important to have fetish visibility at Pride events. Please enjoy the episode. So for listeners who don't know, the Bishopsgate Institute is located uh, virtually just opposite Liverpool Street Station here in London. And I have to say, I've walked past this building so many times and just thought it was cool that, you know, there was another company in the city of London uh, with a gay flag hanging out front, you know, showing their support for the queers, not knowing at all what was inside this building. And it wasn't until a few years ago when an ex-colleague of mine told me that the building actually housed one of the largest LGBTQ plus archives in the UK and is also home to the UK leather and fetish archives. And it was only then that I realized that there was so much more to the Institute than just hanging a flag outside. So, of course, I had to go in and explore. And it was absolutely uh, incredible. When it comes to, you know, reserving our fetish history, you know, there are places I know outside of the UK, like Tom's House in LA, and also the Leather Archives and Museum in Chicago, which we used to sponsor for many years. And I'm sure there are other cities that have archives as well. And maybe our guest uh, can um, give us a few insights, maybe on other things that may be happening. So let's not wait any much longer and let's bring Steph on. Please welcome Steph Dickers to the uh, podcast. Hi, Steph. Hello, how you doing? Good, 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 good. So welcome on. So I think, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the Institute itself, what you do there, and how the archive all started? Yeah, so, I mean, the Institute's history goes right back to the Victorian era. So it's been here 127 years. Unfortunately, we've not been collecting LGBTQ plus and kink history that long. That would be quite spectacular. But uh, it's always been a a public open building with a library and adult education. And it's a library that's always had, there's always been a library there. It was a lending library. And uh, I think it's a case of uh, it's given its librarians and archivists too much freedom at certain points. So we've had librarians in the past who've collected about different subjects they were interested in. So I've been at the Institute now for about 17 years. So I came in 2005 and the Institute was very much about London and radical political history. And then through a series of wonderful accidents, I've managed to turn it into this wonderful hive of LGBTQ plus kink history. Uh, And it really started in 2011 when we got offered a collection uh, from a group called the Lesbian and Gay News Media Archive. We were a group of volunteers who were looking after a collection of about 300,000 press cuttings about LGBT British history. They were looking for a new home. Uh, I said yes with a big smile. They told me it would be small when the 13th filing cabinet was unloaded off the lorry. I was a bit you <laughs> Well, there we go. That gave me the excuse, really, to to get it enshrined into our collecting policy. And as as you said wonderfully, we're now one of the biggest homes for that. And similarly, with, with the Fetish and King archives, I was very determined that there needed to be a place, particularly in the UK, that was recording this history because... Uh, it just wasn't being done, and it was being done so well in America, but not here. And I got, I got a call in 2016 from a, a gentleman who'd been involved in a in a leather rubber club right back into the 70s in Birmingham, and he was looking to downsize, and it was all in the garage. 
They said, would you like it? And I was like, yes, I have my key to start collecting this area as well. So that archive came in an archive of a group called Midland Link Motorsports Club, who were one of the very early leather clubs in Britain uh, that are not about anymore. But that sort of gave us the opportunity to start to enshrine fetish and kink history into the collecting here. And it's wonderful because we are an independent place. We can celebrate these histories as well you know it's not it's not done in there's other places that hold bits and pieces in the uk but it's done in a very much a sort of sexological way or but here it's about celebrating these histories and saying these histories are here there's always been kinky people and we're proud and you know honored to hold all these histories here and they should be celebrated rather than you know looked at in an academic way you know so any opportunity to share the collections and talk on podcasts i take very with open arms so a few years ago we came down uh you know the team came down they did a video which is available on the youtube channel i think it's still around people can watch it um and this week we posted a short article for you uh, for the institute uh, as you're collecting stories photographs and things that people remember from their first prides so mm -hmm. i'll get you to maybe talk a little bit about that towards the end of the podcast so we can actually let people know what mm -hmm. they can do and where they can submit um but i wanted to ask why do you think it's important to reserve this fetish history you know sometimes people think like the fetish lives are lived and okay this is in the past and when You always hear people say, keep the past in the past. But I mean, we, why do you think it's important for us to preserve our kink history? Well, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One particularly, I mean, as a kinky person growing up, I never saw a lot of kink around. You know, it was like, and I think to have a place that is saying these histories are valid and important and they're there and have always been there and should be celebrated is quite a powerful thing to do, you know, uh, to have that there. Uh, for people to see and and also these resources for people to be able to come in and look at you know i want to come in and look at you know my kinky forebears and what they got up to they can come in and look at that and celebrate that and look at it and be inspired by it but i think it's also very much a political move as well on my behalf you know rights and freedoms are always under threat you know whether it be on the internet or whether it be clubs being shut down or blah 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 and i think to have the archive here as a bulwark to say There is an official institution that's recording this as a, a really significant, important history in the history of sexuality, not just the LGBT plus community, but everyone who's kinky is there, is quite an important statement to make uh, as well in terms of, you know, uh, being a sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of a weapon to say, you know, the community is there and it's powerful and it's always been there and enables us to look at struggles before and learn from mistakes as well or be inspired by past campaigns. So can anyone just come and visit the archive or is it something like by appointment only or does something have to be happening for people to access it? I mean, mostly I think when you think about people discovering, because I would say like I've seen it and this is an incredible cache. This is an incredible wealth of information. I think there's probably more than, than people would potentially ever imagine. So... <laughs> And they just walk in off the street and say, I want to visit the fetish archive and, you know, have a little poke around and see what's there. Totally, 100%. So we're all about open access and for this history being as accessible as possible. So literally you can walk in Monday to Friday, 10 to 5. Uh, say, I want to look at the kink archive. And we'll say, yes, what do you want to look at? And you can sit down and look to your heart's content. 
And it's very important, I think, for that history and our history to be available in that way because everyone should be able to come in and access it. Uh, we do get a lot of people come in and we're here to guide as well. So if you just want to come in and have a browse, you know, give us maybe a couple of ideas of what you're interested in and we can direct you in some good ways to find some interesting material. But we also have other opportunities as well. So we have regular open days where people can come and we lay out all sorts of treasures from the collection people can sit and look at. And they sort of take place normally on a Saturday afternoon. Um, people can just come and sit, sit down, bring some mates along and sit and look at wonderfully, wonderfully pervy stuff for the whole afternoon and sit there and enjoy it. Or yeah, also events as well. So we have lots of events around the collections as well. So particularly the King Collections. So it's always a good idea to keep an eye out on the Bishopsgate website because there's always stuff going on as well. Uh, but literally, yeah, you can just walk in any day and we'd love to see you. So do come in if you're interested. Can you tell us, I mean, okay, if I walked in, what kinds of things can I expect to find in the archive? I mean, I wouldn't, I, like, how would I know where to begin? How would I know what to look for? Well, it, it really depends because one wonderful thing about us being so open and welcoming to everybody is you get people with different levels of experience. So you get people who have used archives before. Go, okay, yeah, we'll use your catalogue to find the materials. But we want everyone to be able to come in. So I would just wonder in maybe with a few interests that you're interested in, you know, particularly I'm interested in, you know, looking at the history of some clubs or history of the, the leather scene or, you know, the rubber scene or whatever. And our job here at the Institute is to help you find stuff that would be of interest to you. And literally, it's growing all the time, so there's so much material that you could look at. But we'd be able to help you, direct you to some stuff that would be interested. That's our job. And it's a wonderful, welcoming, smiley place. So don't anyone who's listening be intimidated about coming in. Come in and, you know, just get stuck in and we'll help you however we can to find stuff. And you can take pictures on your phone and, you know, put them on your Instagram or whatever. Copyright permitting, obviously. But uh, uh, So it's completely accessible. Completely, yeah. Can anyone, because I, I would imagine a lot of people who are potentially listening to this podcast would also be quite interested on knowing, you know, their kink or their fetish history or might have something interesting to say. So can anyone contribute or donate something to the archive? hundred percent, hundred percent. We would love anyone who's listening and they've got stuff that they'd like to add to the archive to do that. Yeah, get in touch because... Uh, it's about recording as because the community goes on and develops now. So not just collecting stuff from, you know, that people have got under their beds from years and years ago, but people who are up to stuff now, come in and see us because we'd love to add you into the archive. And we have a box your shape, I'm sure, somewhere in the archive. Can you tell me what is potentially the most bizarre thing that you have ever had submitted to the archive? <laughs> oh, Wow. Uh, that's quite a toughie. Let me have a think. Well, you may have a few. You may have a few bizarre things. So, okay, tell us a, tell us a few of the bizarre things you've had to do. A lot of the stuff is increasingly a lot more objects coming in now, which is quite interesting. So, it started off as an archivist. You're always very much taught, you know, that you only deal with paper and photography and stuff like this. But obviously, collecting this, there's a lot more objects coming in. So now. We are getting stuff like lots of leather stuff being donated, lots of toys being donated. Uh, a little box with someone's Prince Albert rings in the other day, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, so all sorts of wonderful things coming in, you know. I mean, more condoms than you would ever want in your life. Right? Uh, how long we're going to set long-term safety of the condoms so that they don't perish, I don't know. But, you know, very much 
Uh, we're very unshockable here, so you know, don't let that put you off. We'd love, we'd love to be shocked. So, <laughs> I, I, I think this would definitely be worth a visit, just so I can see the types of toys that people want archived. Have you ever refused anything? Not really, no. I'm sort of known as the archivist that never says no, which is a bit tricky and much to the annoyance of my colleagues sometimes. But I think sometimes, (laughs) very much, I mean, there's the bed, which is probably the most sort of bit where they went, Steph, you've maybe gone too far. So it was a a sort of uh, a rebel dykes bed, a a sort of wonderful woman who'd been involved in all the SM dykes scene back in the 80s and 90s. And the friend said, you need to take her bed because it's this icon of lesbian London. Uh, but when I walked in with a double bed, you can imagine my colleagues are like, Steph, no, 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 you've gone too far this time. What's going on? It is collapsible. <laughs> in the room, so it's fine. And has lots of marks on it. You know, it was, it was obviously, well, very sturdy, which is good. <clears throat> but no, lots of wonderful stuff. And we're always accepting more. I mean, some of the stuff that's come in now from some of the old makers of toys and restraints and stuff is really sort of amazing stuff now you look back. But... Once again, we're always open. So if there's, you know, anything that you think listeners out there that should be in that is important in your kink history and your queer history, we'd love, love to provide a home for it. Need something tight and shiny for a special event? Want ideas for your next session? At Regulation, we're stocking thousands of products, including leather, rubber, toys, electro, restraints, and playroom furniture. Now shipping worldwide, or get free UK shipping when you spend over £25. Visit our London store or shop online at regulation.co.uk. Regulation. Kink. Delivered. You know, I guess when we think about fetish history, I think we want to be proud of our history. You know, we want to feel good about knowing that, it, you know, from where we think about where the struggles began from years ago to where we are now, you know, we think about the word pride and this can be layered and have different meanings for so many different people whether it's pride in ourselves, pride in our work, pride in our community. You know, as I stated earlier, that this uh, next weekend, actually, the second, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Pride in London Walk and thinking about what that meant to people, you know, and also knowing that pride, you know, represents the struggles and achievements that the LGBTQ plus community has been fighting for for so many years. And I think it's probably important to know it for many people, you know, especially as kingsters, as fetish people, um, you know, our struggle still continues. And I think it would probably be very interesting for people to step into the archive and have a look or have a poke around and yeah. actually see where, you know, the potentially some of the beginnings of their fetishes you know, actually may have started from based here in the UK. Um, I've had the really good opportunity to do a tour of Tom's house in LA and I've been to the Leather Archives and Museum uh, in Chicago a number of times. And these are really incredible spaces. I think people, if you're in any city and there is a fetish archives and you're a kingster, you should definitely um, make a visit and understand uh, the importance of being seen. And I have another question for you, Um, not necessarily specifically related to the archive, but it's about 
fetish and it's about pride. You know, mm. the debate has been coming up so many times about kink and fetish and pride and whether or not it should be visible and it should be represented. And I think there has got to be something very important about us maintaining this visibility and not losing it because I think we would be losing a part of what is our fetish history if we didn't keep the visibility going. Um, mm. How important do you think it is for fetish to be represented at Pride? I think a hundred percent, hundred percent, and it needs to be there. It needs to be part of. Well, you know, with the community, it's always there's enough struggles externally. We don't need the internal ones as well, and it's about unified and strength. So. Kink has always been there. If you look back for all the photos we've got in the archive, right back to the 70s, there's always been leather guys marching. There's always been, that's all, the kink people have always been on pride and they need to be there. It needs to be visible and seen and proudly there as part of the community. Nothing more powerful than unashamedly getting up and walking in your leathers, in your rubbers, in your pup gear, whatever. And it should be there. And I, I'm very much dismayed by, you know, the community's reaction and where we've had these people saying, okay, there's no place for Ginga Pride, which is, is people who don't know their history because it's always been there. And it's always been a powerful aspect of the Pride movement. So, yeah, I mean, 100%, it needs to be there. Uh, it should be there and hopefully it will be there. Uh, I think it's, you know, it is, it's maybe an, an indication of maybe how Pride, Pride may be going and, the way it's tending to be now, who's pride for, you know, we could talk a lot, I'm sure, about pride and the commercialization of pride and who's it for now, really. It ne it needs to be there and, and kink needs to be visible at pride. It's always has been and it needs to still be there as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think one of the things that I found really good, you know, we started a walking group a few years ago and I think people maybe take for granted the fact that, you know, people are out either with uh, cameras or with video cameras and actually recording these things. Because in another 20, 30 years time, what we're doing today is actually going to be a really important, a very significant part of what is our fetish, of what is our king history. And I think it will be good for people to see, you know, 20, 30 years on from now, what we think of as old, they will think of us, you know, then as old. And... I think it'll be good for them to see that we have not given up the fight. We have not given up on the right to be visible, on a right to become part of what we know is going to be the history, if I can say it that way, around the history of the future. We yeah. are it. And if we don't do it and if we don't stand and be represented, the history will be lost. No, it's the visibility is all so, so crucial. And by being there, being visible, you know, it makes such a statement. And, you know, looking back in history, you know, the power that, you know, different generations have got from seeing, you know, their King Forbes marching as well on Pride is, is very important. But also a slightly nerdy way, it's quite interesting to see how, you know, different kinks have come represented at Pride as well, you know, whereas it's very much the leather guys looking back, but now, so, you know, they have the pups and different groups as well coming to Pride. So hugely important, you know, and it's a powerful statement and it need, it just needs to be there. I mean, I don't think there's any argument. And the arguments that are put forward of, you know, well, what about children at Pride might be, you know, just a child doesn't see a leather man and think sexual. They just see a man in, in, in lovely clothes, you know. Uh, so it's all rubbish. I think it's just, you know, people's tastes and maybe who's controlling 
who's allowed to be there and not and their personal yeah, this coming Saturday, we're going to definitely have the recon walking group and we are teaming up with the uh, London Leathermen and also with Bluff. And I think it was really important that we got the different organizations together. So we even have a much bigger representation at Pride than we would have done previously. Um, you know, when I think about the joining up of organizations, you know, it's really interesting. I've been in the job I'm in with recon for about 16 years coming up to now and i'm still learning and finding out about other leather clubs and organizations around the country that i didn't know existed before and i wonder where these clubs and organizations fit in within our fetish history you know you talked before about a motorcycle club that was that isn't there anymore um are there any other clubs or organizations across the UK or anywhere that you think we should be aware of that that we don't know that might be a significant part of our fetish history? You know, the internet has changed the game, really, as you can see in the archives, you know, where it's gone from very much a, you know, a very much paper-based organization. You get your newsletter in the post next week, you know, that kind of thing. The internet was a game changer, you know, in terms of the clubs and that used to exist. I mean, I'm sure there's wonderful clubs I don't know about that are going out there. And I just say, put your stuff in the archive. I want to know about you. But also, uh, I think new stuff coming up all the time and people organising the internet has changed the game in a way in terms of people being able to communicate with each other. But uh, I think it's an interesting time where we're seeing also uh, a lot of clubs coming up that aren't necessarily straight fetish clubs or queer fetish clubs you know, sort of your crossbreeds and your verbotans who are sort of mixing it up a bit rather than... So I think, you know, my job as an archivist is just to keep an eye and harangue people about recording this to making sure that, you know, we see where these have developed and how they, they've come about and that, you know, in the future we're well armed with knowing that there were all these clubs around because I'm sure one of the things that doesn't keep me up at night but sort of does, you know, is all the, all the clubs and the stories that we've missed, you know, because of... You know, the community having to hide, the king community having to maybe hide itself away slightly and be very under under the radar. So, yeah, the more visibility, the better. But if you hear of any that you know of, Antoine, let me know and I'll harangue them for their archives too. <laughs> Please do. So this is, again, you know, a, a call out to uh, listeners with this podcast. If you are a fetish club or a fetish organization um, based around the UK and you have some interesting history or stories, please send them on. Which brings me to the next point, because I think at the Institute now, you guys are preparing another cache of stories and images. Why don't, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what it is you're working on now? Yeah, so one of the real core aspects of our collection of the Institute has always been about everyone's story being important and everyone's story being archive worthy you know it's our stories that are important when people look back and want to know how the community really reacted so we thought 50th anniversary of pride we have a lot of the official reports of pride but what we really wanted to do was create an archive of people's stories out there individual stories about how people have celebrated pride what pride meant to them so we put a call out for people to send in photography primarily with also some backup text about this was me at my first Pride and this is me with my mates and then we went on and did this. So their own sort of story around Pride. But, I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily just be attended London Pride. It could be a UK Black Pride, a Trans Pride, or could be just, you know, 
we didn't go to the Pride. We just had a big booze up in the back garden, you know, and had a dance, you know. Anything that, whatever, however people celebrate Pride, it's a project to basically record that, but to record anyone who wants to contribute and their own personal stories about Pride and how they celebrate it or don't celebrate it. Whatever they want to contribute would be fantastic. And this will be an archive that will be preserved here forever and will tell us lots and lots of stuff about you know, going forward about how Pride has imp- impacted people and empowered people and inspired people. So, yes, do contribute. Uh, if I can, that's like we're going to come uh, start to wrap down a little bit. Can you, I want to read something because your colleague uh, wrote something for us. So listeners <laughs> actually published this morning on the Recon platform. You see the article which was uh, posted on behalf of the Institute. I think this is only visible to listeners in the UK. And I just want to read something that he wrote, which I thought was really good. And it said, pride means something different to us all from a call to arms and time to unite in protest to a celebration and party with friends and allies. The queer experience is wildly diverse and there are many ways to celebrate pride as there are identities within the community. Whether you're a leather man, a rubber man, a pup, a sports fetishist, a sir or a gimp, your experience of pride is uniquely your own. The Institute wants to give a home to your photograph and stories relating to Pride, creating a dedicated archive that celebrates the struggles and celebrations of the past 50 years. And I think one of the important things is Pride is about people and they want to record this excitement and the adventure, the highs and the lows, the bravery and the defiance. And I think that's also something that's really quite relevant. I think that people you know, as part of the briefing, they talk about taking pride back to what it initially meant 50 years ago when the first walk came about. And it was about bravery and defiance. And I think this is probably something for kingsters and fetishists to remember. This is also why it's important to have that visibility at pride, because this is the kingster stand at bravery and defiance. I think as a reminder to people, uh, you know, coming up, you know, as Kingsters, we always talk about how the old guard, you know, they set the ways for us and how the newbies don't know what to wear, what to do, what to say. But I think something that's really important about history is allowing people to determine the paths of their own history, you know, mm-hmm. um, Of course, it's great to expose everyone to the history of kink, but we should remember, you know, that everyone's kink experience is really unique and it's very individual. And I think what you guys are trying to do is to capture these individual stories, these individual histories of people uh, and get them to send them into the Institute. I think what we will do is, well, I think also for the listeners on, Posted on, as I said before, posted on the Recon uh, website is the article that went out that has the link. Uh, but Steph, if somebody else wants to donate or contribute anything, what is the best way for them to do it? I would drop us an email uh, at library at bishopsgate.org.uk and we'll be straight back in touch because we'll be so excited. We'll email straight away in response to you. But uh, no, we'd love to hear from you. Anything you'd like to contribute, do get in touch because... As I say, the listeners who are listening today, histories are hugely important and we'd be honoured to provide a home for them. So, um, closing, just on the last bit, you know, just reminding people, um, I think it's important to understand also, you know, with 
I think what we're all doing, what you guys are doing at the Institute, also what we try to do at, at um, you know, at Recon yeah. is that, you know, we're not only interested in, you know, large vanilla global events. There's so much more to mm-hmm. what we do. So if you have stories to tell, you know, whether it's about pride or as you write something that happens in the back garden, <laughs> I mean, what have you been doing in your garden, Will? <laughs> or on your balcony? <laughs> I mean, no, you know, <laughs> want to put in, you know, uh, yeah. go for it, you know. <laughs> and, and I think it's, I think people should understand that it's open to every spectrum of the LGBTQ plus community, you know, and this is the queers, the kingsters. And I think we should also remember that, you know, what is going to become an even more integral part of the future of our history is when we think about, you know, our recent struggles with trans pride and with black pride. Um, you know, your stories matter and please send them in to the Institute. And please remember, you know, this is pride month. This is pride season. Um, go out and stand proud and be a part of the future history of kink and fetish. Any final words, Steph? No, I totally agree with you. What inspired words, inspired words. So thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you.